This is the Canopy Life Podcast. We are a community of joyful, generous, and stubbornly hopeful people. We believe that beauty, belonging, and innovation can change the world. And we are committed to a future where Kenyan children become godly innovators who lead their communities out of poverty. This is a year of interviews on the Canopy Life podcast. We'll be interviewing people all year who we can learn from. Specifically, people who also believe beauty, belonging, and innovation can change the world. In today's episode, Christy and I had the honor of speaking with Sarah Buchanan Sasson from Kula. Visit kulaproject.org to find out more about how they are alleviating poverty through entrepreneurship in Rwanda. That's Kula Project, K-U-L-A project.org. I, I'm going to get a little giddy. Sarah is top five favorite people on the planet for me. Being a feeling founder female uh, and owning that has been a large part in due to sharing that journey and was found founded Kula years before Canopy was started at least two or three years. 2012. Right. So we were 2015. And I remember one of my first meetings when I realized Canopy was going to be on me, wasn't going to be a shared endeavor, was we had coffee at a coffee shop together. And she was like, well, you should be thinking about this and doing this. And it was just so valuable. And in the last few years, as we've kind of owned our piece uh, in a different way, in a new way, we just meet a lot. We share trips of the tips of the trade we share hardships we have cried together we have gained weight together we have we have shitted at gyms and tried to let it get our stress off to get having a friendship like that um when you're doing what we do is just so precious and i just love her outlook on life i love the values and perspectives she brings to the values of kula are very closely connected to the values of Canopy, just demonstrated in a very different way and executed in a different way. And I love learning from them. Uh, it's just been, yeah, I, favorite people. Favorite yeah, people I, award. I heard you guys talking before we press record on the podcast, and my comment was, this should be the podcast. <laughs> you guys have such a, a chemistry. You can tell yeah. that there's a, a deep friendship there. Yeah. And you immediately, like, dove yeah. in. There was like, hey, how are you doing? Doing good, doing good. <laughs> Boom. Like, you were there. You were, you were somewhere. What's your, <laughs> what's, yeah. what's your tax return like? brokerage. <laughs> yeah. it, it was very fun to, to witness and listen to. Yeah. So I can attest to that type of relationship and yeah. how valuable they are. Yeah. Whenever you're doing something that really not many people know yeah. w- what you have to go through to do what you do. Right. So we're really excited to talk to you today, Sarah, yes. about Kula, uh, which is your organization. And you have a statement in, in big, bold lettering on your website uh, that we're going to get to in a minute. But I want to read that statement. It's, we believe charity will not eradicate poverty. Business will. And so we're going to dive into that. Uh, here in a couple minutes. Before we do, I think it's helpful for the listeners to have a context of where Kula is is working and who you're working with in Rwanda. Yeah, definitely. We are working just in Rwanda. We have been exclusively there for about six years. When we first started, we kind of had this idea that the more countries we were in, the more legitimate we were. And so we were in Swaziland, Jamaica. We had U.S. projects that made no sense. And <laughs> we, we did some stuff in Kenya. And I all of them were failing 
superbly <laughs> and we and we actually were ready to quit and then we went to Rwanda and there was this very overwhelming feeling that things weren't working because we weren't where we were supposed to be hmm. so we closed up all of our projects my husband and I who we started cool together we went to Rwanda for a month and crisscrossed the whole country and we're like we need to be here in the context of Rwanda uh, what is there? Can you give us like a brief history lesson or, sure. or a recent history lesson? Definitely. Most people know Rwanda as a country that had a genocide. 20, 1994, a million people were killed in 100 mm. days. Um, most, almost all Tutsi, but also moderate Hutu, were brutally murdered. The world just pulled out, saw no strategic value in helping, and this left them to be. And that was, you know, 26 years ago, 27 years ago in April. And now they are top 10 cleanest country, top 10 safest country, top 10 easiest country to start a business, top 10 fastest growing country in the developing world. And so we always say people know Rwanda as a country that had a genocide, but we know Rwanda as a country that overcame one. Hmm. So I the the statement we're we're going to get into mm-hmm. talks about poverty. So right. I'm, I'm guessing poverty is still an issue there, uh, and is that because of the the genocide? Uh, yeah, they you know they were rebuilding from scratch. It was a totally failed state in in July of '94 after it ended, and they have done so much and just in the six years we've been there every time i'm there there's a new paved road or new systems or better internet but it's still very centralized so in your capital city of kigali when you get there you feel like you're in southern california it's beautifully landscaped there are plants everywhere cobblestone sidewalks you will not find a piece of trash anywhere like you can look for one and you (laughs) will not find one it's remarkable but as you get more and more outside of the city it's kind of more of what you think when you think like rural African poverty. Yeah, yeah. Um, except it's clean. <laughs> it's clean in the rural areas too. But um, yeah, you know, over 70% of the population's subsistence agriculture, coffee and tea are their biggest exports. So we work exclusively with coffee growers and their families. And we just saw that as a place where we could make a difference quickly which is why we just dove in. And while what the work that we do fits under a large umbrella, um, the constant is Rwanda and coffee farming families. Cool, cool. Although I'm trying to get into tea, but our program director is <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep me focused. They're actually much different than you. You, I was like, how much different can it be? They're both beverages in the same country. <laughs> Uh, it's very different. Leaves versus beans, roasting yeah. versus not. What's right. The, what's the, what's I mean, the... you would think it would be easier, right? <laughs> Dry the leaves, put them in a bag. Uh, it is not that way. So he's trying to keep me focused, and that's why I hired him. <laughs> Can you tell a little bit about the program and how it works? Yep. And how you select the people who come into your program? Mm-hmm. We select, so we don't do self-selection because we don't want to create unintended consequences. We don't want to go in and cherry pick families that we think would be great for our storytelling or we just like them because they're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all humans and they're naturally people that you just like more than others, you know? 
So we go through the government. Rwanda has an incredibly non-corrupt government. Which is insane. Yeah. Wow. We work kind as, of not the same. I know. <laughs> Where we are right now. I mean, we awesome. say they're like, the B word is bribe. Wow. Like, you don't say it. Yeah. And we work with as close with the government as possible in all ways. They're so, I know, they're so non-corrupt that sometimes things take a lot of time because you need 27 signatures to, Mm -hmm. you know, do something seemingly simple, but they keep it safe and clean, corruption clean. But um, we identify the poorest regions of coffee growing communities, and then we go through them, and then we work through coffee cooperatives, and so they do kind of a general first run at this census of where they are on income coffee trees coffee interest and then from there we do an entrance exam and then we pick the middle 150 150 people people right so each community so we're in three communities right now and we do 150 Mm -hmm. in farming and then 50 in the women's center which Mm -hmm. we can talk about that but that became an add-on after a devastating landslide in one of our communities. And, you know, coffee, you might not know, coffee takes three years to produce. And so when you have 81 of your people lose their farms overnight, mm-hmm. you can help them replant, but it's going to take three years before they're going to earn an income again. So they came to us with a business plan to learn how to sew and for us to buy sewing machines and hire a trainer. And we did. And it, was kind of a relief project, honestly, and then ended up becoming one of our most successful programs. Because when they finished, they asked if their daughters who they couldn't afford to send to high school could go through the program. And so now we have women's centers at all of our coffee washing stations. So you have a coffee washing station in each of these communities you work in, and you take them through a program, Mm -hmm. a fellowship program. A business. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so coffee washing station is the place simple version where the coffee cherry farmers harvest becomes the coffee bean that we will export and roast. Um, We only own one. We bought that last year. Yeah. Time has. I don't know what what year it is. Um, But we only own one that we bought to kind of put ourselves on a path to financial sustainability. But we work at two other ones. So we so we just have a memorandum of understanding MOUs with these cooperatives and we're official partners. But we have a 15-month business fellowship where it's industry training. So it used to be just coffee farming, but as we introduce more of the women's artisan stuff, we change it to industry training. So they're either coffee growers or artisans and they learn to master that skill. We also have life and leadership training and that includes everything from public speaking to women's health and family nutrition and how to cook food. Like one of our big things is one pot, one hour. It's a fully full meal and it's only takes an hour. Whereas, you know, women Mm -hmm. spend six, eight hours a day cooking cooking. just starts that just fills you up, but doesn't give you any nutritional value. Right. Um, Then at the end they learn the business stuff. So, financial literacy, how to get a bank account, and we help them get bank accounts if they don't have any papers or credit because so many of our people during the genocide lost their paperwork mm-hmm. and they just can't get a bank account if you can't prove who you are, mm-hmm. you know? So we help them do that. 
And then we have kind of a Shark Tank Rwanda where they <laughs> write their business plans. Our mentors, the whole time they're with us, they have a mentor that's with them and just they're like they have this one person the whole time through the fellowship. And it's really beautiful to watch that they've all become family, but they the mentors help them with the business plan and correct it. Then they pitch and some of them don't do a good job and they don't get an investment. <laughs> and then some of them do amazing and they get investment. So mm. we just finished our second round and we start our third in next month. So what does success look like for you? And as they're leaving and they're going through the shark tank, it's an investment for them to start a business. Mm-hmm. Investment to start a business. We have a pretty strict contract of mm. impact measurement. So you can't get, you know, a thousand dollars is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like two years of salary for, right. for the average coffee farmer. Right. And so we have a strict follow-up policy where we get to measure our impact and make sure that they didn't take the thousand dollars and buy a cow. And then we see the cow and then two months later they sold the cow, yeah. you know, yeah. which we've never had any of that kind of stuff happen, but you know, do it, put those processes in place first. Right. Totally. And so you were, these numbers here, you mentioned 150, you're going through 150 business plans with this, uh, not everybody submits one, but okay. usually they have the opportunity. They have the to opportunity sub- to submit okay. one, and they're also they kind of have these little like passport books. So every training that they come to, so if they didn't show up in the trainings, they're not going to get an investment. Mm. If they skipped a bunch, you know, they might not. They might, you know, come in at a lower investment or what. So we there are other criteria of just a good business plan because mm. you have to show up the 15 months because we want one of our you know help people who want to be helped so not everybody wants to be helped we've had people leave our fellowship we've had to adjust the age for example you know like things you just don't really think about in the beginning we had 75 year old people in our fellowship and it's they're not going to want to join a 15 month program right just to get coffee seedlings so we figured out how we can do some community work where people like that maybe get some coffee seedlings, but they don't want, you know, so we lowered our age cap to 45. Mm-hmm. And 75% women, 25% men. And so those are the things that we, the first run of the fellowship was, you know, like everybody's first run at anything. Uh, second was way better. And even as we get ready to go into the third, it's already, our, our Rwandan team is the most amazing group of people I've ever known. <laughs> they are yeah. crushing it. Chrissy mentioned, like, what do you see as success uh, a minute ago, which made me go back to your statement Mm -hmm. that entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. is what will eliminate poverty, not charity. And so success looks like raising up entrepreneurs in Rwanda. What kind of impact do you see them having on their communities or what type of difference does that make in in their lives as they – uh, go through this program, come out on the other side with a loan. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned coffee seedlings. Is that something that they get with the loan? Or, or uh, I, I guess I'm trying to ask this, a, a different version of the same question. Yeah. Like, what is this impact that these these entrepreneurs are able to have after coming through the program over there? Our, our people don't want charity. And they will tell you that over and over. They don't want me to get you know somebody to pay their kids school fees to go to the school they're already going to they want that dignity of being able to do that themselves Mm -hmm. they want to feed their kids themselves they want to 
take them to the hospital when they're sick themselves. But at some point, you got to have some help to get there. You know, like that was one of the reasons we put in mentorship. 80% of CEOs of the top, you know, 100 businesses say that they are where they are because of a mentor. Yeah. And but why don't, you know, why don't we think poor rural people need mentors? They Mm -hmm. do. It's the same concept. Mm -hmm. It just looks a little different because they're coffee growers, not, you know, tech giants. Right. But we want them to be able to do all of the things that they could dream of for their family on their own. Yeah. You know, that's at the end of the day, it's I'm not going to have your dream. I'm not going to tell you what you should dream. We at the very beginning, we do household visioning. And so we mm. say, you know, and at the end of the 15 months, three years, five years, 10 years, what do you want your family to look like? And then we plug in like where Kula fits in alongside them in that and how we could help them get there. But they're their dreams. And that's why we feel like we're successful because we're not telling them what their life should look like. Right. It's they say, I want to send my, I want my kids to be the first one from this village to go to university in Nairobi, you know, mm-hmm. like a, you know, for them, like a big university. It's like, all right, well, how much does that cost? What kind of business, you know, how are we going to get there? And then we work backwards, but it's them being able to pursue and achieve their dreams on their own yes. accord. They just need the opportunity and the access to get there. This is what I love about Kula and Sarah's vision. It does line up so much. I mean, that's our heart, right? For our canopy kids. We have to wait probably nine years plus yeah. to see that adult vision, their own ability to dream with their creator and become who they were, right? you know, called to be. But like, I love the idea of dignity being restored. And I have questions about the statement because that's a strong statement. I remember when we were sitting in a coffee shop and you told me, we're going to put this on our website. Yeah. Like, this is the strongest way to say uh, charity will not end poverty, business will. So where did that Which come from? Which is interesting because we are, in fact, Right, charity. a charity. Yeah. <laughs> but right. charity not in the, I like, understand. nonprofit sense, yeah. but in the, right. I'm going to, you know, bring a plane right. full of high schoolers over here to, right. you know, prune your coffee trees this summer. Right. Well, it's the same. I mean, recently I've been talking to the Canopy staff and I'm like you know you do know our goal is not graduates right like we're not trying to get kids to graduate high school we're developing godly innovative leaders and that leader will then lift their community out of poverty like graduates is not going to end poverty like getting kids through school having them sponsored or paid to get through school is not going to change anything it might give them a slightly better chance but until we have developed a godly innovative leader right a graduate is just a byproduct, right? Yeah. So that's what I love. There are what a lot you're of saying. really awful people with <laughs> degrees, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Right, or people who aren't capable of doing very right. much totally. that have or a don't degree. want to. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I love about the idea of it. Truly, is so. Talk to talk to us about where yeah. that statement came so from. So we have had uh, seven or eight mission statements <laughs> because we always knew what we did and we knew what our goal was and we knew what we wanted to do and how and our core values they have not changed right in you know the almost nine years we've been around but we could not figure out what we how to say you know the like 10 word or whatever it is like what's your 30 second elevator i was like well in a, <laughs> 10 minutes <laughs> and so we sat down and so karen houghton one of our amazing Mutual advisors friends, yeah. and she's a great friend and great friend of christie's you know, she will call you out and she's like, what is your mission statement? I, was, I don't know. Help me. <laughs> and so Lindsay, my, the only other U.S. staff, and I met with her at Atlantic Village 
and we sat there for hours and she was writing. She was like, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do that? And she was like drill sergeanting me, you know? And then I said something along the lines of, you know, charity's not going to do it. It's not going to be us giving them all this stuff. It's going to be them starting these own businesses. And I saw her eyes get big and Lindy's <laughs> eyes get big. And then we spent like 45 minutes trying to make that one sentence clear. And it's, of course, there is a spot for relief. You yes. know, you have famines. We, we've done relief with landslides or COVID. You yes. know, we did a huge food program in the summer for COVID because suddenly people didn't have access to food, just right. like in the United States, you know? Right. Um, we are not a relief organization and development is so often focused on what do we think these people need? Let's go over there and bring people how to, you know, and, yeah. and do it. And then you leave and then they either tear it down or redo it or don't do any, or it just sits there. How many vacant buildings have you seen right. <laughs> driving through East Africa? <laughs> and so we wanted a way that we could empower people, even by even saying that to our Rwandans, their shoulders, you know, go back mm-hmm. a little bit more and their chest comes out a little bit more like, yeah, that's right. This isn't charity. This is learning mm-hmm. and this is education. And then we're going to go off and we're not going to need them anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we're leaving our first community this year. That's and awesome. that's, and not because it's not working out, it's because we're done. And we, within that cooperative that we were working in, we're not needed anymore Mm because we've worked, you know, with almost 400 people and we've worked through all of them that wanted to be in it. And so now we're leaving and that's such a win Mm -hmm. for us because we're leaving on the best note. We'll stay, you know, we'll go back for impact measurement, but otherwise we're moving on. And that's the goal is to not Mm. be an ever present, you know, force in the community and our staff, Staff of 25 and three of us are Americans. And that's, mm-hmm. I would say, if you ask me, like, what do you contribute, like, recent success to, is that our Rwandan staff mm-hmm. change the game for us in every possible way. Mm-hmm. Expound upon that. What do you mean by the, the Rwandan staff change the game? Because they live in the communities and there's so much information that we would never get. Even if we had Rwandan staff that was in the capital city of Kigali, mm-hmm. but none in the community. You know, they're invited to weddings and funerals and Sunday dinners and Mm -hmm. dance parties. And so they hear, we get real-time feedback, and that's invaluable. Yeah. And whereas before, we would wait and we would do these long surveys or it would just be, you know, the Americans and kind of doing what we didn't want to in the beginning, but it was the only way we found it to work. Yeah. And we, you know. Has anyone pushed back? Like, has, has anyone yeah, pushed back all... on that charity? charity no, well, actually not. <laughs> and I'm really surprised. I mean, some people they might just drop and be like... <laughs> and you're good at calling out the, the irony in it yourself of saying, like, we're a charity. And and I like the, the clarification yeah. that you right. get there yeah. with it. Because yeah. uh, it does seem it like such... It does. It, yeah. it seems like something that would be so easy to say. Like, right. mm-hmm. what do you mean? Yeah. Like, you're doing the thing that you're saying is not going to exactly. eradicate it. Well, but, I think, I mean, anyone who's watched aid right. in the last decade will admit that aid, which is, in essence, relief for charity, it's not going to end poverty. It keeps right. people from dying. Yeah. Right? Like, just look at the sheer amount of aid that's been poured into any country, or especially right. countries like Haiti with multiple right. earthquakes. And, right. you know, it's, it, it's, to, it's to keep things from going under. Mm-hmm. But it's not to 
It's not going right. to change it's it. It's not going to raise the, you know, yeah. the level of standard of living. It's, it's not even the purpose of it most of the time, even though people think it's the purpose. Yeah. Right. It's to keep, it's to keep things from becoming a failed state or to having right. massive yeah. um, famine and death. You right. know, it's, it's not for thriving. Yeah. Life. Like <laughs> people in Yemen right now don't need me to bring in you know other yemenis and teach them how to start businesses right like we need to not have bombs dropped at us and we need food because we're starving right you know so development there isn't what they need right Right. now they need relief right whereas rwanda is so stable they just yeah you know and not everybody of course but are people just need somebody mm-hmm. to come alongside them? But I also can say, like, we're trying to start a business. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, like, we bought a coffee washing station with the goal of being 50 cent, 50% self-sustaining. It's supposed to be by the end of this year, but COVID. So we <laughs> moved it to the end of next year. And we, you know, we sell coffee. Karen, mm-hmm. through, you know, Karen Atlanta Tech Village, we opened, and our amazing manager, Andrew, we opened a coffee shop where we sell coffee and we do co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. You can buy the coffee wholesale. Yeah, you can buy it wholesale. Your you your can, corporation. Yeah, you yeah. can do private label. So we do wholesale in our own bags. We do fulfillment. So if Canopy mm-hmm. Life wanted a Canopy Life coffee bag, cool. it would be our coffee. Right. That yeah, amazing? that is really but it, cool. You know, just like how can we get it out? And, all, and then it's also full circle because that money goes directly back into our program. Yeah. And then we also buy it from the people mm-hmm. who we taught how to grow it. And they're getting paid at minimum double their best price they've ever received before that. Hmm. Well, and it makes you sustainable. So you're not donor dependent, right. which is a beautiful part of yep. the yeah. sustainability model for a charity. Cause then at some point you won't be a charity either. You'll right. be a business totally. that's paying business. Yeah. People. So our, <laughs> so when we launched our, um, like sustainability plan, it was, we believe charity will not eradicate poverty business. will, and I was like, that, that, that. So we're starting a business. Mm-hmm. And that's it was cool. like, cause right? we recognize like, if people don't want charity and, you know, the whole, like, hand up, not hand out thing and all that kind of stuff, why is it okay for us to get to survive mm-hmm. on handouts, mm-hmm. but people who are actually living in poverty, like, we look down on them for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we really struggle with that tension. And so it's, you know. Yeah. I, it's, That's probably a great conversation for another podcast. Yeah. I think I might differ from you. The benefits of generosity and the livelihood of wealthy Americans is so vast. It's almost a ministry in and of itself. And I would probably love totally. to explore that with you. But I understand what you're saying about you don't want to be dependent yeah. as a way of we'll never. I don't think others. we'll ever become a for-profit. Yeah. You know, yeah. because, because, because of that general, like we have the most committed we don't I, I calling them a donor like doesn't feel no. adequate right you know like yeah. they love our work and they believe in it when i don't and mm-hmm. they push me through those yeah. times when i didn't mm-hmm. because they see they see it from the outside whereas i you know i'm just like beating myself up all the time and they're like look right. at all of this beauty that is happening in rwanda right. and they and so i would never want to yeah. to take that from them and from their opportunity to be involved in these stories. Yeah. And, you know, our most incredible supporters, two of them don't even drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you but know? you don't have to drink coffee to no, really believe they, in the potential of yeah, people who can lift totally. themselves out of poverty. Exactly. Which, right. that's, I think I feel that way a lot about people in our circle. You don't have to believe in kids or even innovation or education 
to believe that a child deserves the right to become who they were created to be and have no barriers standing between them and doing good in the world. And when they can be the answer that their community needs, you know, you don't, you want to remove all those barriers. Or or even just be equipped to come up against that barrier, that obstacle that you you can't necessarily remove. There's going to be a barrier. There's going to be an obstacle, but that with the innovation, with the ability to think critically uh, the barrier doesn't become yeah. the the end of the journey. There, right. There's something beyond that barrier. Mm-hmm. And it's the same of what Kula is doing. Kula yeah. can't remove all the barriers between right. someone and poverty, yeah. but by training them how to be entrepreneurs, how to be leaders, how to plan and envision things for their life and showing them at least a little bit of how that's possible, they'll be able to overcome those barriers right. on their own as well. There's something really beautiful too about practicing uh, what you're uh, walking the walk, talking the talk. Like you're talking the talk about business and, and you're walking the walk. And that's yeah. that's really cool. MailChimp, who's also in Atlanta, mm-hmm. they started an, uh, a brick and mortar store because a lot of their customers were brick and mortar. So there's this, it's always really inspiring to see somebody yeah. with, a, with a mission and with a vision for other people do it themselves as well. Yeah, and so, it's really, it's a, you know, it's a kind of a bonding tool with our hmm. with our people. And we talk about it and we bring back coffee bags and, you know, they've never seen the final product of their coffee before. They they sell it as cherries and they yeah. never see it again. Oh, unless yeah. They're... Do Rwandans drink coffee? Because I know in Kenya, Kenya, it's like one of their biggest exports, but Kenyans they don't drink, drink coffee. Yeah. Um, a lot of tea at the coffee washing stations, you know, they'll serve coffee, but it's like, one part coffee, one part condensed milk, one right. part sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Starbucks. So, yeah, so it's, um, we actually are kind of toying with this idea of starting these really small coffee shops that is just, you know, like brewed coffee, yeah. not French press or pork, yeah. you know, just to start to like, I don't want to say build coffee culture because we're not trying to build a new culture, but show them what pride in their yeah, export. Yeah, like this is what yeah. this is. You you grew yeah. this coffee. Now you have a chance to drink it and yeah. sit down, and you know they love. There's such a community, mm-hmm. and it's it's yeah. so much different than you know. I know one of two of my neighbors, and they know all of theirs. You know, and so being able to have that cafe experience, I just feel like they would love it, and they've talked about it, and they've talked about wanting to taste their coffee. But it's really fun to tell, you know, we, we've we become really great friends with some of our fellows. And granted, we don't speak the same language, but our mentors translate for us. And we'll sit. I've had multiple days when we're not there with donors. And we're sitting, like, on pine straw and talking about the struggles of starting a business. <laughs> and I never feel like I shouldn't say this because... You know, we're equals, like we're friends. Yeah, and it's yeah. like Christy and I, when we meet at a coffee shop right? and, you know, we joke like I, it's usually like we're usually on the opposite ends of a seesaw. Like one of us is doing really well and the other one is like <laughs> falling. And then the next time, like the other one is like so much more. The other one is like, I'm not in a good place. Right. Right. And when we switch and we like when you talk to people like they're equal, they mm-hmm. are your equal. Yeah. You know? Okay. So we're going to wrap up. This episode, uh, I think we're going to ask you a couple more questions that we may or may not uh, have somewhere else for our online community to listen to. Uh, but for this episode, how could somebody get involved with Kula? Where do they go? What's your website, social yep. media? Right? You have beautiful photos on your website and, and on social media. Uh, I have enjoyed scrolling through them, looking at them. Uh, what do you want people to do yeah. from here? Or, or would you invite people into yep. from here? Kulaproject.org, K-U-L-A, 
um, our Instagram is the same at Quill Project are a great way to just dip your toes into our story is buy a bag of coffee. A hundred percent of sales, not profit sales go right back into our work. And if we're, we're really working on wholesales or office coffee with corporate gifts, we had an amazing, you know, company in Seattle over the holidays that bought 500 bags to give to all of their clients. And, that's a really great way to, you know, Which show somebody something you if care. it's in Seattle. They really love yeah, their coffee. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, but, you know, show somebody you're thinking about them, especially as in the new year, but also by doing really great work in the process. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the best, easiest. And if you're someone who believes in entrepreneurship, you can sponsor a fellow. Yeah, you can sponsor okay. a fellow. Uh, it's $900 for a full 15-month term. Just incredible. Yep. Yeah. All of that can be done on our website. Cool. cool. That's Project. great. Project.org. Grab a bag of coffee. Yeah. It's good coffee. It's really good coffee. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we end all of our episodes by saying Asante Sana. Would you uh, end Asante us by sana. saying Asante Sana? Asante <laughs> Chane, as we say in Rwanda. Asante Sana. Thank you for listening to the Canopy Life podcast. We have a lot of new and fun things planned this year, and we are excited to share them with you. We recorded a bonus episode with Sarah when this one was complete that will be available to monthly donors and child sponsors in the coming weeks. Keep an eye out on your inbox and subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date on how you can be a part of changing the world through beauty, belonging, and innovation. My name is Evan Chastine, and I am a supporter of Canopy Life International. We are a community of joyful, generous, and stubbornly hopeful people. We believe that beauty, belonging, and innovation can change the world. And we are committed to a future where Kenyan children become godly innovators who lead their communities out of poverty.